glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Genesis chapter 18 there then, back to verse 16. We'll just focus on a few things. Uh, when you look at verse 16, you understand what's going on. I won't read them again at this moment, but uh, the Lord and uh, some angels have come to visit Abraham. It's here that God renews his promise. He, he unfolds his promise to Sarah as well as Abraham. Uh, he's already told Abraham they're going to have a son, but now Sarah's here. It's where she laughs. By the way, God has a sense of humor. The name Isaac means laughter. Both Abraham and Sarah laughed at God when he said you're going to have a child. If we'd been Abraham and Sarah, we would have laughed too. And uh, there's no doubt about it. So God said, well, then you name him laughter. It reminds you of every time you call his name that you laugh. And I made you a promise. And uh, I believe Isaac was a form of laughter for a number of reasons. Laughter because it seemed ridiculous that they'd have a child at 190 years old. But number two, laughter because of the joy certainly he must have brought. So God's done that. But then he says, and we've read here in the text, God said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? And uh, and he decides to unveil to Abraham his plan to destroy Sodom. And, of course, in Genesis 13, we'll go back there in just a few minutes, Abraham and Lot had separated ways because they were unable to abide together because their herdmen had conflict. In Genesis 14, Abraham had stepped in and delivered Lot when he'd been captured by uh, in a war uh, that involved the king of Sodom. And Lot and his family had been captured. Abraham had delivered him. But all of this to no avail. Lot was still intent on living where he lived. And so now Sodom's going to be destroyed. And that's what brings us up to where we are. Lot has been living in Sodom, had been captured with Sodom, nearly lost his family in Sodom once already, would ultimately lose his family there. But when Abraham, of course, hears what's going on, he understands that the possibility of Lot being destroyed is part of what's going to take place. And uh, I want to go back and dig back into the history of this because I believe if we're going to see, we've read Abraham's petition, his intercession for Lot. You can hear that's what is in his heart and mind. When he's praying about the righteous in the city, it's Lot he has in mind. Genesis 19 makes that very clear, that Abraham was specifically praying for Lot and for his family uh, when he prayed and made the appeal for God to spare the city of Sodom uh, if, uh, if he found righteous people there. And so then, again, there's some things I believe we can learn about interceding for other people and how God responds to that. The Bible has very, very much to say in so much that it would be, it's a little difficult to, to try to preach one message, and I believe that's really all the Lord would would have on the matter of intercession. But undoubtedly, when we use our tongues, God wants us to use our mouths and our tongues to pray in order to appeal to him for the blessing of others. That's in essence what intercession is. It's us appealing to God for blessing on the lives of other people. We're told to intercede on behalf of those who despitefully use us and persecute us. I can't help but believe somebody must have prayed for Saul of Tarsus after the stoning of Stephen. Uh, he was despitefully using the churches, uh, the church of Jerusalem in particular. He was, dis- he was persecuting them, but the Lord saw fit to save Saul of Tarsus and make him into Paul the apostle. And so uh, I, I don't, I personally, in my own life, let me just say this about prayer, I, I feel strongly that I have just scratched the surface of appreciating what a powerful tool prayer is. And, and I mean that. I, I often feel so very disappointed if I have any area of my Christian life that I'm most disappointed over where I'm at in contrast to where I want to be and where I think I ought to be, it's prayer. Uh, and I mean that sincerely. It's, I, I, I probably burden more at this season of my life over that because I see in the Bible how God has ordained prayer, Jesus Christ being our great high priest, 
gives us the privilege and the opportunity of prayer. And I know my own tendency is to try to sort things out, and uh, often prayer is is not where it ought to be. I, I, I'll feel like it doesn't have the burden of heart, yet uh, the best way to grow in prayer is to pray, amen, and to continue to pray, and to pray, and to continue to pray. I'm convinced of this. I believe this. As a church family, as a church body, uh, if we will emphasize each one of us prayer in our lives, uh, that's what God will use to transform us, to make us what we're supposed to be. I believe the burdens we have. I don't, I don't think we understand what is accomplished not only on part of those we pray for in prayer, but what's accomplished in us through prayer. And so may God help us to give ourselves to being a praying people, and to interceding for people. I hope you have a number of people that a 48-hour period or a 24-hour period cannot pass without you bringing their names before God. Uh, when you find the Lord Jesus, he was constantly praying, finding somewhere to get along with God, to maintain his own personal spiritual strength, which he did. But you find it amazing. The Son of God, God in the flesh, but because he became a man, he used prayer in order to maintain his cause and do the will of God. And you and I must do the same. And so intercession for others is part of that. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was an intercessory prayer. And so I believe this. When we enter into intercession for someone else, it's because we're in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus tonight is interceding on behalf of other Christians, is he not? So intercessory prayer is joining him in that intercession. And so then, uh, that's, uh, it is in intercessory prayer, I believe we draw much closer to the Lord. I know this as well. One of the greatest antidotes to bitterness in my life is praying for people. If you want to keep from getting bitter about towards someone who's hurt you, pray for them. I mean, I, can I say this? The, the theme of bitterness has been on my mind for probably seven, ten days. I don't know how long. Just some concerns over the potential for bitterness in our lives, in the lives of members of this church. And I believe this, and this message is not about bitterness tonight, but it is in this instance. I believe if, it's, one, it's one of the reasons our Lord gave us the commandment to pray for our enemies and told us to pray for those that persecute us and despitefully use us. It keeps our heart soft and tender toward that person instead of hardened and bitter. So you think tonight, if you would, and this is not intended to be part of this message, you think about someone in your life that has hurt you tonight and ask, am I praying for them in intercessory prayer? Am I bringing their name before the Lord and asking the Lord to work out his will for their life, praying for their protection, praying for their deliverance? Anyone that has harmed us, and they, they may not respond to the Lord correctly, but we can and should. And so having said all of that, let's go back to Genesis 13 just to kind of get a refresher on history. And I'm going to give you, first of all, in Abraham's intercession for Lot, it reveals Abraham's affection for Lot. Very clearly, Abraham had a love for Lot. Now, you might read Genesis 13 and think that's not true because they parted ways, but it's, it's abundantly clear. As you look at Genesis 13, Genesis 14, and then Genesis 18, Abraham had a deep affection for Lot. If we're going to intercede for other people, we must, be, we must have charity in our hearts. You're going to have to have the love, genuine, godly love in your heart for another person to constantly and faithfully pray for them. Because of the labor that is involved, the labor of the soul that is involved in praying for another person, uh, you're going to have to love them. And I, I give you the first point to help us understand what the motivating factor is behind intercessory prayer. It's love for the Lord, and out of that love for the Lord, love for other people. Genesis 13, beginning verse 5. We'll read a few verses here just to give us a, a background behind Abraham and Lot. I think we're familiar with it, but let's read it. Verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents 
And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Therefore, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram and Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were uh, wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. What Abram witnesses in Genesis 13 is Lot's decline in his direction. He's got a decline in his direction. He's watching. And many times this is where you find someone's heart when they're given liberty. Uh, I've told my wife this. I said two things really test us and prove where our hearts are, opportunity and opposition. Those two words come to my mind. Opposition will, will prove us out to see are we going to be faithful in the face of opposition. Opportunity proves us out. Sometimes we don't do sinful things simply because we don't have the opportunity. When Lot was given the opportunity to go wherever he wanted, guess where he went? He went the wrong way. He followed his fleshly impulses. He looked and saw the plains of Sodom. Abram watches this. Now, I believe this. When we watch other people that we love make bad decisions, there's, there's a temptation to simply get frustrated with them. Would you agree? You watch somebody you care for. This is Abram's nephew. And Abraham, in love for Lot, says, I'm going to give you first choice. We've got a conflict. The best way for me to resolve the conflict is not to be proud and say, I'm the eldest. I'm the, I've, I had cattle before you had cattle. Uh, I knew you before you were born. I'm going to take the best and you can have the leftover. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Lot. You choose whichever direction you want to go. It doesn't matter to me. You choose the best. You choose wherever you want to go. And I'll go the other way. And I wonder if somewhere inside of Abram's heart he thought, I hope he doesn't go down there. They all knew what was down that way. The Bible doesn't say, but that's what Lot did. In your life and mine, we're going to watch other people, many times other believers, other of God's children, make bad decisions to their own detriment. And I find this, that Abram had an affection for Lot in that knowing that's the decision Lot had made. In Genesis 14, we won't take time to read it, but if you were to read in verses 1 through 16, you find that there was a war that took place in Genesis 14, and a number of kings fought against a number of other kings, and in the process, Lot gets captured. The Bible says in verse 11, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their victuals, and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then the Bible goes on to tell us that the word was brought to Abram. He finds out about it. He takes his 318 servants, goes out and fights these kings. And the Bible says in verse 16, speaking of Abram, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. I, I, I go back to Genesis 13 and Genesis 14 to demonstrate with clarity from the Bible Abraham's attitude toward Lot. Abraham is concerned for Lot's well-being. He is willing to give preference to Lot. He's willing to put Lot first. He's willing to get Lot liberty to make choices. Lot made bad choices. 
after making a bad decision, Abram still risked his own life to go rescue Lot and pull him out. What would you think? After doing this, surely in the back of your mind you think, now Lot can see the danger this place poses to him. He'll certainly not return. But he did. At which point you say, I did my best. I tried. You want to destroy your life? Have at it. Eh? <laughs> That's what is our tendency but it's not what Abram did. So we find Abraham's affection for Lot demonstrated in Genesis 13, demonstrated in Genesis 14, and demonstrated once again in Genesis 18. You find Abram saying, you know what? You and I can't continue together because of the strifes. You go your way. Abraham sees Lot make a a declining decision. Then he goes to Lot's deliverance and delivers him out of the hand of the enemy. But then Lot returns to Sodom. Now Abram gets news. It's not a set of kings that are going to come and deal with Sodom. It's God himself says, I've heard the cry of Sodom. It's wicked. It's vile. I'm going to go down, and I'm going to verify in person what I've heard in heaven. And so I believe he says all of this to give Abraham an opportunity. Abraham now has an opportunity to make a difference in the life of Lot. And so we hear of Lot's pending destruction in verses 16 through 22 of Genesis 18, when the Bible tells us, again, the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? And he goes on to explain in verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. So he leaves, the Lord, when he makes that statement, kind of leaves it open. If there's some reason I shouldn't destroy it, I'll know. And I believe that was Abraham's cue to say, well, I will then appeal if there's any righteous there, Lord, if there's any righteous. And he starts, of course, with 50 and he works his way on down to 10. But the Lord leaves the invitation open for, I believe, Abraham to appeal to him to make a difference. And so we find, first of all, Abraham's affection for Lot. And then here in Genesis 18, 23 through 33, Abraham's appeal for Lot. Now, this is where we can learn from how he appeals to God. If we study the intercession he makes, some have criticized Abraham uh, in saying, well, if he'd prayed a little further, may I say this? If there were not more than 10 righteous people in Lot, that was, in, in Sodom, that was not Abraham's fault. That would be Lot's fault. <laughs> may I say this? When we compromise to conform to the world, different message for different time, which has been preached, then we're not going to be fruitful when we're carnal. When we are as righteous people immersing ourselves in the wickedness of the culture and living in the midst of that, we're not going to make a difference. Neither did Lot. He did not multiply uh, in a fruitful manner in Sodom because that's not where God would have had him be. Nonetheless, Abraham begins to appeal with God for Lot. How are you going to convince God not to destroy a man like Lot with Sodom? Uh, how would you, how, why would you think that Lot is a righteous man? It would seem to me Abraham had the evidence that Lot had the same faith he did. He knew, the Bible says, that Lot was a just man. We know we're justified by faith. And so Abraham, having Lot in mind, begins to intercede with God. But I want us to understand that his appeal to the Lord was principled. And I believe in our prayer to the Lord, we need to operate and pray inside the principles of Scripture. God gives us so many guidelines for prayer that it is important that we pray according to biblical principles. I believe this is what it means when James chapter 5, verse 16, when it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So when we find Abraham approaching God, God calls Abraham his friend. 
But I don't ever find Abraham calling God his friend. Oh, I'm sure he knew he was a friend. He did not belittle the Lord. He didn't bring him down to his level. God is communing with Abraham. He had a tremendous relationship with the Lord. According to Genesis 19, a place where he met with him every day. But he prays according to principle. And by that I mean his approach to the Lord is with reverence and fear. Listen how he speaks to God. And Abraham drew near and said, he asked a question, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city, Wilt thou destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Then he says this, That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What principle is he praying on? Abraham understands the character of God. He knows the kind of God he's dealing with. He has a clear understanding I am praying to a just and a righteous God and not knowing that truth about the God I'm praying to, it doesn't make sense to me that he would destroy a righteous man just like he would destroy a wicked man. That makes no sense. By the way, you want a strong case for a pre-tribulational rapture. Here it is. Is God going to pour wrath on the righteous just like he does the unrighteous? No way. There's no way. I know some people believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, but they wouldn't say that. They would say, no, what we believe is, I know of people believe like this, God will shield you from his wrath. If you know anything about the Lord, he's not going to pour his wrath on the righteous. It's impossible. He's a just God. You say, where are we coming from? When we pray for others, we need to, we need to know the Lord well enough to know how he's going to operate. Abraham did not know what God's final answer would be, but he knew God well enough that God would not deal unjustly with the righteous in his dealing with in pouring out judgment. And so he prayed according to his knowledge of the Lord. Uh, This is why we're given the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, so we can have some principles to pray by. Turn there with me if you would, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'll just hit some verses on prayer and as we intercede for people. Let me me try to give the the flip side of this. There are times that in prayer I feel like I can't make any headway uh, to where I'm trying to pray and trying to intercede for someone. And I've found myself at times praying for people in my life who I'm burdened over. I'm concerned for them, but I'm praying for a quick fix. Meaning, Lord, please deal with this person Please resolve this situation. I would never say this because it wasn't crossing my mind. It's buried in my heart. Because this person is a burden to me, please fix them. You with me? That's not how Abraham was praying. He was not praying, Lord, would you please do something for Lot because I'm so burdened over him. That that would have been for Abraham. He's praying on the principle of charity. He's praying on the principle of of fear and reverence for God, confidence in the character of God. When we approach in prayer, there should be no question, however God answers me, it's going to be right. Whatever his answer is, it's going to be the right answer. We don't need to give God the answers. We need to go to him knowing he has them. We need to go to God appealing to him, yes, but understanding the, the judge of all the earth will do Right. I believe this is what it means to pray according to his will. We know that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. First John five fourteen says, We must approach God understanding he is righteous in all he does. We can trust his judgments. We can trust the outcomes. And this is the way we're told to pray. According to Matthew chapter 6, look if you would then at verse 9. Of course, you're familiar with this text. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, what's the next statement? Hallowed 
be thy name. You find that in Abraham. When Abraham is approaching God throughout the entire prayer, he says, Lord, it's not like you. It would not be appropriate for you. Uh, I, I know your name well enough. I know you well enough. I know your, your reputation, if you would, that I know you would not destroy a righteous man as you would a wicked man that's not like you. By the way, I believe the closer you get to the Lord, the more you share his burden for people. Now you find that the Bible says Abraham drew near to God. He was familiar with the Lord. He had drawn near to God. I don't find a lot praying for anybody because he wasn't near God. He was near Sodom. But Abraham was near enough to God that his prayer... By the way, that's where intercessory prayer is developed, near the Lord. I believe if you and I are not involved in interceding for someone else on a regular basis, it is a barometer of our spiritual state. How much we pray for other people and their needs is a, a good indicator of how near we are the Lord. Because God is love, and if we're close to Him, we're going to share His heart for people. And I find that in Abraham. Matthew chapter 6, again, verse 9. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is not a phrase to repeat. It's an attitude of heart to to have and to ask for. What we're saying is, Lord, look out for and defend your own name. What people think about you. We should enter into prayer saying, Lord, we know you're righteous. Please work in this situation in a way that reveals how good and how faithful you are so that your name is honored in me and among other people. Abraham prayed according to New Testament principles in the Old Testament because we approach God with reverence, respect, and with confidence in him and in his character. His prayer was principled. If you go on in Matthew 6, the Bible says uh, in verse 10, "Thy, uh, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Meaning we pray already. We begin our prayer submitted to God's authority. We begin in prayer like the Ninevites we saw this morning. It may be that the Lord will repent. He'll not do the evil he thought of. They prayed, submitted to it. God will give the final decision and will trust in the decision he makes. And so when we approach the Lord in prayer that way, we're going to make great progress. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're not resenting God's authority We are not using prayer to overstep his authority. We are using prayer to operate under his authority and to appeal to him as our supreme authority to do in the lives of others what we don't have the power to do. Verse 11, Matthew 6, Give us this day our daily bread. That's again a principle of dependence upon God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is a principle of humility in prayer, knowing we are sinful like other people are. And so then uh, we appeal to God with with a tender and merciful heart toward others, knowing that we need his mercy for us. Verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We recognize his authority over Satan, over all the evil in the world. The principle that's seen here is as Abraham approached God, he had a right attitude toward God. He had a right understanding of God's authority. In contrast to that, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, another text we're familiar with, uh, uh, the best way to have unanswered prayer is to try to use God as a marionette puppet to give us and do what we want. Uh, many today, name it, claim it, and so forth, want to use the Lord to put his stamp of approval on our plans, and God does not operate that way. The Bible says in verse 3 of James 4, "...you ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it." Upon your lust, and so just in very in a very basic and general way, what I find with Abraham in his intercession for Lot is that his appeal for Lot was principled. Each time he approaches God, he does so very um, humbly, 
If you listen to his, his attitude expressed here, after he asked, Lord, if there's 50, he says in verse 27 of Genesis 18, and Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He says, I want to make sure, God, you understand that I understand our relationship. I am not appealing to you because I am worthy to be listened to. I am appealing to you because you're worthy and you're good. And I trust you hear me. I'm just dust and ashes. Verse 28, peradventure there shall lack five of the 50. And then he goes on. Each time he appeals, the last thing he says in verse 32, and he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet but this once. He said, Lord, I don't want to provoke your anger, but I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you hear his attitude coming through? His attitude was not one of, oh, hey, God, it's me, Abraham, the guy that talks to you every day, your pal down here. And we approach God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know why we pray in Jesus' name? It's not a catchphrase attached to the end of our prayer or even the beginning of our prayer. It is a recognition outside of Jesus Christ, I am not deserving to be heard. But because of Jesus Christ and on the authority of his word, Father, I approach you, I can call you Father, not because of my goodness, but because of Jesus Christ. I am putting his endorsement on the check, not mine. I go write you a check for a million dollars and put my name on the bottom, but friend, it's no good. <laughs> that thing's made of rubber. But there are millionaires who could say, you know what? You take this to the bank, I'll put my name on it. And you can go cash it because they can back it up. Now, we pray in Jesus' name because he has all the resources of heaven. We don't. We didn't earn that. We must understand that's a principle. Praying in Jesus' name, again, is not a magic phrase to get our prayers answered. It is an acknowledgement that we are not worthy outside of Jesus Christ to approach the throne of grace, but through Jesus Christ we may boldly come and we do so seeking God's mercy, seeking God's grace, trusting that he will always do right for those we love. Sometimes when I pray for people, all I know to do is say, Lord, I'm asking for your will for their lives. I don't know that. There are certain things I do know God's will for people's lives. We have unsaved people among us in church. I know it's God's will they get saved. So I'll pray, Lord, please bring them to repentance. I know of wayward brethren who have disobeyed God's word and have not seen that they've erred. I pray, Lord, please. I remember when the Lord really helped me. This is something you can pray for those who are holding positions and defending positions that are contrary to God's word. Pray for them to come to repentance. I pray that specifically. There are times in my life, now, if God shows me I need to repent, then just repent. But there are times I'm prone to pray, Lord, if I've got an area I'm not seeing clearly, and I need to repent, would you be merciful enough to help me see it and give me repentance? Amen. I believe with all my heart God will answer that prayer. It's principled prayer. It's asking for the things he wants. You know what? God delights in mercy. I believe Abraham understood that principle. God, you delight in mercy and you delight in justice. You're a God of judgment. You know what's key to our effectual prayer is knowing God through a knowledge of Jesus Christ in the Bible. It is by Christ in us and Him dwelling in us that He unfolds to us the Scripture and helps us know the Lord. And we pray to God based on our knowledge of who He is. You know what? My children, as they know me better, there are some things they know never to ask dad for. Don't even ask him. The answer will be no. And as they get older, they learn. Some of the younger ones may ask for things sometimes, and the older ones are sitting there thinking, you shouldn't have asked that. Because the older ones know better. You, you with me? Now, that's true in the human relationship. We learn that with the Lord. Abraham is asking in a principled manner. As we intercede for others, we need to pray 
according to the principles of God's word, the principles uh, uh, of a proper approach to God, maintaining a proper attitude toward those we're praying for. John and, and uh, uh, James and John prayed to Jesus one time. They said, Lord, shall we call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? Now, they called Jesus Lord, but their attitude wasn't right toward those Samaritan cities. And the Lord said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. The same two came to him another time with their mother at their side or ahead of them, saying, can we sit on your right hand and on the left? Both times, shall we call fire down from heaven? The Lord did not give them the answer to prayer. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Then when they said, can we sit on your right hand on the left? He said, ye know not what ye ask. They weren't praying a principled prayer. They were praying selfishly. They were praying with an improper attitude toward the Lord. They were trying to use Jesus to promote them. They were trying to use Jesus to empower them to take vengeance on people. And he says, I won't do that. But then when we pray according to God's purposes and God's will, with the recognition of his authority and a, a right attitude toward others, not trying to best them or get ahead of them, but rather trying to see them delivered and restored and, and preserved from the dangers that face them, for God's either to save them from their sin or deliver them from judgment, uh, then the Lord is prone to hear and answer our prayer. So Abraham approached the Lord with a proper attitude and approach to God while maintaining a proper attitude toward Lot. He did not go and say, Lord, you know how frustrated I am with that boy. When given the opportunity to make a right choice, he went the wrong way. And Lord, you know that after I delivered him in battle, he went right back to the old pig pen he was living in before. He went right back down to Sodom. He ought to have known better. Now, Lord, would you please teach that boy a lesson or two? Yeah. He said, would you please be merciful? If they, Lord, if there are ten righteous, certainly Abraham thought, okay, there's Lot and there's Lot's wife. Maybe he's got a handful of kids, and if he's won, his family. If he's at least persuaded his family to trust in God, perhaps God would spare a city of wicked people in mercy for the sake of the righteous. And so Abraham's heart is right toward God, right toward his nephew, though, his, how many of you think that perhaps Lot had hurt Abraham in his decision-making? Absolutely so, yet he's still praying for him. His prayer was principled. Number two, his prayer was passionate. I believe you can see that in the text. After he prays for 50, then he goes to 45, then he goes to 40, then he goes to 30, then he goes to 20, and then to 10. And you can hear his fervor. Lord, it's not like you to destroy the righteous of the wicked. He is concerned deeply for what's going to be the outcome of Lot's life. Lord, it doesn't seem just and it doesn't seem like something you would do. And there's passion. The Bible, again, James 5, 16, the Bible says we're to pray one for another that we may be healed. The effectual, what kind? what's the next word? Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe when you find Abraham praying to God, it is both effectual, he's praying principled, according to his a, a, a right attitude of reverence toward God, trusting God's authority and God's final decision-making, but with compassion and concern for Lot, even though Lot had done him wrong and hurt him at times, yet we find him praying principled, passionately, for the deliverance of his nephew, and uh, including the entire city. We find a fervor in Abraham's heart of concern for Lot. And then we find it was a persistent prayer. You want to find, and this is probably the one aspect of prayer you'll find more highlighted in Scripture than any other, uh, and that is to continue to pray, and to continue to pray, and continue to pray. He says, 50, 45, and the Lord says, not for 45. 40, I won't destroy for 40. 30, not for 30. 20, not for 20. 10, he continues to go until he gets to a place that says, okay, 
I'll stop there. But we find his prayer was persistent. Go to Luke chapter 11, if you would. Luke chapter 11. I believe with all of us, there is going to be, after we have begun to pray for those we're concerned for, there's going to be the temptation to stop when we should continue. I believe that the Lord withholds answering at times, though he's answering Abram, uh, Abraham when Abraham was asking, saying, yeah, I'll not destroy it for that. But I believe there's at times a test to see will we continue to seek God for the solution or if he doesn't answer us soon enough, will we look for another? I believe that is the test. Do we believe our only hope is in God or do we believe there are other solutions as good as God? And the fact of the matter is we need not to stop in prayer and intercession for others now, the Lord teaches us to continue. The Bible term is importunity. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So I've got a responsibility, but I don't have the resources to meet it. Verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto thee, I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, meaning he keeps knocking, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. He goes on to give some illustrations about how children entreat their parents and how God the Father is glad to give us of the Holy Spirit if we will, but ask him, verses 11 through 13. But the word that's used is importunity, means his, by his continual asking. Luke 18, same thing. There's an unjust judge and a widow doesn't leave him alone until he does what is required. In both instances, there was a need and yet there was not the resource to meet the need. And what God says is the friend may not rise because he's his friend, meaning he might say, well, that's my friend at the door. I'll get out of bed. And he says, I'm comfortable. My, my children are in bed. We're all comfortable. I'm not getting up. But if the man keeps knocking and saying, but I've got a need. You've got the resource. I've got the need. I'm not going to stop knocking until you come. How many of us tonight, how many of you know Abraham was powerless? He knew the, the nature of the city of Sodom, did he not? He was powerless to go down there and in a night win the city to the Lord. He couldn't have done that. It wouldn't have listened to him. But what he could do is entreat God to do what God can do. He says, I can't resolve the problem of Sodom, but I can entreat you for Lot. Abraham knew he had a burden that he couldn't fix, but God could. Prayer is us going to the Lord and appealing to Him, knowing He has the power to deal with certain things that we do not. And when the Lord does not initially respond, we may get the poochy lip and say, why doesn't God answer my prayer? God says, keep knocking and I'll answer you. Don't stop knocking. Knock one time and nobody answers. Knock again. If I don't answer, knock again. And I believe many times the Lord withholds to see, are we going to continue to trust Him? Are we going to continue to, for lack of a better word, are we are going to badger Him until He hears our prayer? I don't, I don't mean to belittle the idea, but God makes it very clear. There are times I'm not going to answer you right away, but you keep knocking, and you keep asking, and you keep seeking. In our lives, we have times where we say, well, I asked the Lord to help me, and He wouldn't help. How many times you pray? Well, I prayed one week and then when things didn't go well, three weeks later I tried praying again and it didn't help. God is not a magic potion 
to pour on our problems to make them go away. God wants us to learn to depend on Him and see Him move on our behalf. So there are times He will intentionally... Now, God is our friend, but He uses an illustration here to say, even among you humans, importunity is effectual. And Abraham said, I'm not going to stop. He said, yes, on 50. There must have been the back of his mind. There may not be 50 there. 45? What if there's not 45 righteous? Lord, 40? 30? 20? 10? He's burdened saying, Lord, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. We find his prayer is principled. His prayer is passionate. His prayer is persistent. He is not just going to say, well, I did my part. Abraham could have said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Lot to soothe my conscience. And if he gets burned up in the city, I can at least say, well, I asked the Lord about it. How many times do we see someone headed straight for destruction, whether it's on their way to hell or it may be a fellow Christian who is going to see their life? How many of you know that even Christians get destroyed, not in the sense of eternally destroyed, but temporarily destroyed? They're going to lose their treasure in heaven. They're going to lose their opportunity to serve God. And we say, well, I want to pray for them to soothe my conscience and say, well, I tried, but then that's the end of it. No, I believe the closer we are to the Lord, the more we realize He's the answer and we must continue in prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. We are to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. One of the most emphasized aspects of prayer is keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So Abraham's affection for Lot is seen. In chapters 13 and 14, then here in verse 18, his appeal was principled, passionate, persistent. And then finally, Abraham's answer. Go back to Genesis, but go to chapter 19. Here's Abraham's answer. The last thing you find in Genesis 18 is him appealing to God. And what was Abraham's petition? What was his request specifically? Would you spare the whole city if you found ten righteous? And he got up the next morning and found out there weren't ten righteous in Sodom. That was his answer. Genesis chapter 19, the Bible says verse 27. This is verse 26 tells us how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt as they are fleeing the city of Sodom. Verse 27, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And the Bible says in verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelled. Now this is kind of a trick question. Did God answer Abraham's prayer? Did he answer it the way that Abraham asked it? No, not exactly. He answered what Abraham's heart asked for, but he did not answer what Abraham's mouth asked for. Abraham said, will you spare the city? The only thing Abraham could fathom, the only way that Lot could be saved, is if God did not destroy the city. There was another solution. I'll destroy the city, but I'll take Lot out. Did Abraham think of that? How do you know that God knows best how to answer our prayers? The Bible says the Spirit of God, in Romans chapter 8, intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, meaning we don't know what to say, because we know not what to pray for as we ought. Now here's what I want you to see. What was the apparent answer to Abraham's prayer? Did Abraham see Lot flee Sodom according to the Bible? Did he see that he survived? You know what he saw? Smoke from a city. Apparently God 
Apparently to Abraham, Lot was dead as far as I can tell. From all appearances, the city's destroyed. He must have concluded there must have only been nine or eight or seven or one righteous person because when God went in and destroyed the city. And I'm wondering, based on the text, all I can think is Abraham, from what he could see, what he longed for God to do had not been done. As far as he knew and as far as I know, Abraham went to his grave without a knowledge that Lot survived. You say, why is this important? Because there are times when apparently God will not have answered our heart's desire in prayer. And perhaps God has, but we don't know him. Abraham was a man of faith who trusted God, not based on appearances, but based on who God is. And as far as Abraham could see, the city burned with fire and Lot was in it. But the Bible says God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot out of the city, meaning this, God answered his prayer. God heard the plea of Abraham's heart, please, God, don't destroy Lot. So God sent those angels down there, took Lot by the hand, drug him out of the city before he would destroy it. In fact, if you read Genesis 19, they said, God, fire can't fall until you're gone. God won't do what he's going to do until you're out of here. So they grabbed him by the hand and drug him out of the city so the fire could fall. Now you look how the pleading of Abraham determined how God dealt with a man. God sent angels and grabbed Lot by the hand in answer to a man's prayer and delivered, according to 2 Peter, just Lot. He was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, but the prayers of a righteous man availed. Here's what I want you to see, though. I don't know that Abraham knew that until he got to heaven. You and I must pray and trust that God has answered our prayers whether we can see the outcome or not. God is faithful. Amen? Prayer does not say, I'll pray if I can see it works. Prayer says, prayer works because God promised and I'm going to pray and leave that up to God.